Off the ball. It's not like Maradona or Messi, where the ball is tied to the left foot. I always see the ball as something which is bouncing, like an obedient, happy puppy. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. Wednesday Night Rugby on Off the Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Now then, first Wednesday night rugby of the new year. So the rugby over the last week or so. New Year's Day, we had Leinster beating Connacht 41 points to 12. We had Munster right at the death, 81st minute scoring a winning try against Ulster, 15-14. Before that, Stephen's Day, Leinster 26, Munster 19 at Thomond. And Ulster did manage to hang on against Connacht, 22 points to 20 at the sports ground. So over the festive period, that is Leinster 2 for 2, Munster 1 for 2, Ulster 1 for 2 as well, and Connacht 0 for 2. Big headline from the most recent fixtures, obviously, is that Johnny Sexton will miss the start, certainly, and, and beyond of what will be his last ever uh, Six Nations. So we will discuss all that in due course with shocker, Mr. Andy Dunn. Hello. How are you doing, Joe? You're watching Ruby over Christmas as well. What's going on in your life? Is everything I okay? I was ill. I was ill. Yeah. Hence, uh, the URC was a brilliant option. <laughs> there is always an explanation. <laughs> yeah. Something has gone radically wrong in your life. If you're well, I've, I've solved the rugby. <laughs> a debilitating chest infection. <laughs> uh, you know what? I've turned turned the corner. Oh, really? Turned the corner, started watching it objectively. Um, there was some great stuff, yeah. I, and I mean that. I'm not just saying it. Good. If you... I was going to say pretended, which now no yeah. longer required. If you advertised the fact that you were a URC man, you'd be picked up as a television pundit in double quick time, I would say. <laughs> it's your disdain for this tournament that is holding you back. <laughs> so um, we'll start with the Ben Healy news today. This has been mooted for some time. Ben Healy, whose presence against Ulster added a lot, and Graham Rowntree was talking about that as well, post-match after he came on and Crowley moved to 12 and he scored the winning try in 80 minutes. Rantry afterwards was singing Ben Healy's praises. Ben has composure. He reeks of composure. He's been cracking for us. He's come on at a key time. As did Conor Murray, he's settled things down. Uh, however, the news has come through that he will join Edinburgh at the end of the season. Munster say they offered a new contract by their own words, made every effort to retain his services. Graham Rantry said it's tough to take, it's out of our hands. Uh, Ben Healy said, I believe a move to a club such as Edinburgh gives me the best opportunity to fulfil my professional goals. He is Scottish qualified by dint of his maternal grandparents. And unlike John Cooney, there will be no waiting period. Uh, So once he is picked, he can play. Now, I would presume he won't be picked for the Six Nations, given he'll still be at Munster. But maybe stranger things have happened. They might make an exception. Regardless, Ben Healy, gone. He obviously saw Joey Carberry's return from injury and, and uh, you know, uh, relatively consistent form and maybe crucially the emergence of Jack Crowley mm. and that Scottish carrot looked all the more appealing. Yeah, and I think while it's tough for Roundtree and any coach who coaches a young fellow who's got brilliant professionalism, you know, and who's got a capacity to do what he does well. He does he does his strong parts of his game exceptionally well. Um, coaches do really enjoy working with players like that. So I can understand for Roundtree why it's, it hurts, you know. And he also gives additional strength and depth. But I think 
that's where it becomes tricky for the likes of Healy that he probably knows he's he's respected as a good squad member by the likes of Roundtree. He knows he's very professional and capable, but he clearly knows he is third choice. And he said he has his own professional goals. And I would imagine there, if he's if he's an opportunity to play international rugby, he's going to get a better chance in Scotland than he is in Ireland. So I would, I think it's it's a good call for him. I think wish him the best and hope in a year or two he doesn't knock over seven penalties against us in Murrayfield mm. and we lose we lose Six Nations game because I could see it happening you know but he's, he's a complete and utter opposite of the likes of Finn Russell if he does um, break into a Scottish national setup which I presume is his goal I don't think he he grew up dreaming of playing for Edinburgh put no. it that way so um, uh, and I don't even think Scotland realistically I can't speak for him. I don't know what his dreams were, but he played at Irish yeah, underage I, level, won a Grand Slam, and I, presumably this is a choice of pragmatism. Yes, and you know, um, McGinty probably didn't grow up thinking he was going to go and play for the US, and Ian McKinley didn't think he was going to go grow up and play for Italy. But when you get to a point where you're, you know, a very good quality but you're, you, you know the writing's on the wall and you're established in your position and you're not getting a look in, um, I can I can really see their point of view and I think it's to be applauded. And is he definitely behind Crowley? Uh, yes, I would say in terms of the Irish management viewpoint. If you're asking me just objectively what you look at, is he behind Crowley? It's hard to say because... How, what what I've seen from Crowley, the, probably the the most impressive single piece of skill I've ever seen from Crowley was two or three years ago in a twenties game where he where he ran a, an incredible individual try from his own twenty two and you know that he hasn't done that in the professional era yet. So you're working a lot off potential with Crowley. I think um, that's why I have wondered if Healy might have been advised. I know he's twenty three. Mm. Well, let's just stay here and fight your corner a while and see what happens. Yeah, yeah, you could, but I, I suppose if Crowley has come in, has started a game against Australia almost by accident, yeah. you know, as we know, but then simultaneously held his own very, very capably in that game, and he didn't do anything. Um, he didn't do anything that stood out, which is actually a good thing because he didn't make any glaring mistakes that stood out in a game thrown in the deep end in an international against. The, reasonably good quality Aussie side um, I think he's unfortunately for, for um, Healy he's just been leapfrogged and I would say that isn't going to change so okay, and, and I don't think it's just entirely objective like looking at Crowley and looking at Healy and saying look you know based on what Healy's done does he deserve to be leapfrogged like that probably not but that's the way it rolls because he's 90% of the kicking tee which is exceptional mm. And he has kicked winning points mm. at the death for Munster on several occasions. So yeah. he has a certain temperament. I've seen his defence question, but I presume that's something that can be improved. General play, how good is Healy? Um, general play, I would say he's he's just a, a moderate, moderately talented. I don't think he's ever going to shake up a game with his influence in attack and that's his influence as a distributor or his influence as an individual threat I just it's not there in his game now if you look at the try 
you have to look at it in context and say he was a yard out yeah. and it was there were two particularly weak tackles. So, you know, looking at it in context, his overall attacking game, I'm sure what he can do is, is he can come in and operate a system that a management team want him to operate mm. and he can do it very well. Um, but I think the highest level, you need people who can choose to go off the system and make that successful too. You never hear a coach criticise someone who went off piece and it worked, you know. Um, I don't know if he's got that in the repertoire either. I certainly haven't seen evidence of that. But that's not to detract from the strengths. You know, if, you know, 90% uh, kicking success rate, excellent from the from out of hand kicking. Um, yeah, defensively, we could all out have the vast majority of, of us brethren um, would have a question mark at that at some stage in their career and sec look at Sexton missed the absolute sitter of a tackle against Henshaw um, Henshaw kind of waltzed around him and no one said a word if that was someone else there'd be question marks but obviously we know Sexton doesn't shirk it it was just a missed tackle but um, there is yeah I I wouldn't worry about his defensive side I think that would he's he seems to have the application and the attitude to change that very quickly Okay well It'll be um, interesting to watch his career and see how he goes. And like you said, I think everybody wishes a young guy well, trying to make the most of his career at the you know the age of twenty three. Yeah. Um, is he good enough? Do you suspect to be starter for Scotland uh, medium term? Um, how old is Finn Russell? At thirty. I'd say you get a couple more years at, at Finn Russell, but yeah, I mean at twenty three. It's a smart choice. Yeah, it is Finn Russell choice. was twenty six. Different, okay, but at thirty one, and Finn Russell being as mercurial as he is, yeah, you're not seeing anything in the the backups to no, Russell not, to suggest not particularly Hastings. Um, uh, no, I think he's very, he's very. I think it's all told a smart strategic move if your goal is to play international rugby. Okay, interesting. On Jack Crowley, it was notable that Roundtree said of Healy after the Ulster game, he reeks of composure. It's a funny it's turn a great of phrase, line, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so I would have thought composure doesn't reek much. I know it doesn't stand out with like a bad no. smell, but there you go. Uh, he reeks of composure. Gordon Darcy was writing about Jack Crowley, and he was complimentary of the footwork and talked about how that um, opened up field position on a few occasions. But he said in the Irish Times his overall performance lacked maturity. To borrow an Eddie O'Sullivan analogy, Crowley's running around with his hair on fire. And Darcy said, Crowley's still playing far too much on instinct and his recent run of matches has done little to change my view on this. He gave a few examples. One of them, for instance, was hitting a rook after three of his teammates were there already and then he neck rolled a player. And he said, when you're the playmaker, you only do that when it's strictly necessary. So I thought that was an interesting observation on Crowley. What are you seeing after the festive period? Uh, I, I probably come at it from a different angle that I think... In young players who've got capacity like that, you're better off trying to encourage instinct um, because over time it will become curbed. And I think trying to manufacture clones who play systems perfectly is ill-advised. I think young players who've got quality need to just need to go out and do those things. And... They are, I mean, I was were those things impactful on results in isolation? Any of those examples uh, Darius has given there, I don't think had a, a significant influence on the overall 
result of no, performance. Sure. It they was were definitely in, his general impression, though. Yeah. And I think it's a fair impression with any young, gifted player, and it probably could have been levelled at Darce at a young age. I think it was. It was probably used as a stick to beat him with. I don't think it helped uh, a young Gordon Darcy to be kind of cajoled and caged. And actually, when he got the right position and the right people behind him who showed belief in him, he flourished and his ability to break games open that you couldn't coach in that 0304 Six Nations where he got Six Nations Player of the Year was on the back of three or four years of being criticised for being too instinctive. So I don't know. Um, it's like he's he's been beaten down by the system there, Darth, maybe, and he's saying, look, all players need to be conformist to a certain degree where... I get I get it, but I don't I don't like seeing talent like that completely uh boxed in and do everything right initially. Uh, you know, they yeah. can make those mistakes and I, I think it's okay. As a brief tangent, I do wonder sometimes how much your punditry is informed by your own experience because I feel like we could be a talking lot. about a young Andy Dunn here. Oh yeah. Um am I it's like good psychology here, Joe, <laughs> Joe but it's like uh I Lots of pundits do. I feel like when Ronaldo was being turfed out of Old Trafford, Roy Keane was being triggered and was very much yeah, on the player's I, side. I, I'm the same. I, and I, I feel I, you I, are, yeah. I fully agree with you and, huh. and uh, heart in my sleeve, I, I would project these things where I had, I had really unfortunate run-ins with coaches where I still feel aggrieved about their approach, whether that was as a man-to-man management thing or system thing. But nonetheless, I think I would, I would maintain my ground that I think quality and talent needs to be backed more than restricted. And naturally that will, the edges come off that through international test rugby and the rigours of that. If a young O'Driscoll had been curbed, he wouldn't have been the player he was. He was actually a better 13 by the 9 Grand Slam and he spent most of the time playing like a back row, you know, getting one, one yard out rook tries than running in from 30, 40 metres. And I just, yes, I am projecting yeah. my hurt but I'm also <laughs> fighting the corner of, of but talent. But I'm right. <laughs> no, I may not, I certainly may not be right. I'm not suggesting I'm right. I think there's room for people who are uh, abide by systems. There has to be. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but I'm just not sure if picking out three or four individual moments that could have been done differently by Crowley means he's not ready yet either. I, you know. Yeah. I think to be fair to you, your perspective is also grounded in a very real experience and you glimpsed maybe what you could have been and then how uh, being caged in a touch might have affected you adversely. You've experienced The caveat is I didn't work hard. So like I'm not blaming others. I needed to work harder. So let's leave, (laughs) we'll leave that one aside (laughs) too. too. I I could have worked a lot harder. There weren't perfect uh, scientific laboratory conditions, I I, I grant you. So, I mean, you say there, someone like Crowley and that talent let it flourish, let it see where it goes, let it find its own ceiling and then the rigours of hopefully international rugby will, will curb and shape it. And, 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 and yeah. It's funny, Finn Russell hasn't really been overly curbed no. or shaped. by no. Like he does not seem to throw crazy intercept pass on the biggest stage and then think to himself, well, I'm bloody not doing that again. No. He's quite an unusual test case in that, in that instance. Yeah, he's quite unusual as well. I saw recently when he signed for Bath for over a million quid, <laughs> his kicking percentage, um, for place kicking percentage for, for Racing, 90%. I had no idea. I thought he was about 60. So there you go. Mm. He's, he's, got, he's got a bit about him, all right. So Six Nations Oper, 
opener against Wales. Presumably Joey Kirby starts because that mm. has been the way. Mm-hmm. Harry Byrne is, I think, going to play this weekend against mm. the Ospreys. Ross, obviously, his stock has risen once again post-November. And then you have Jack Crowley, all of whom will be itching to be on the bench. Mm. And I don't know what's Frawley's injury status. He's not a million miles off if fit, but I don't know where he status-wise where he is. Let's assume for a second he's fit for the purpose of yeah. the argument. Yeah. Who do you expect to be on the bench and why? Uh, I expect the bench to probably to uh, Crowley, just based on the Autumn Internationals and having started and played, what, 68 minutes against Australia. Um, I would imagine they'd stick with that, yeah. That, that's that's my, what I think the Irish management would do. I, yeah, if, if Frawley was fully fit, I'd probably put him on the bench. I just thought, and I've thought for a long time, he's he's a very, very good operator um, in a couple of positions and can place kick and for your World Cup squads and things like that. He's excellent. If the World Cup final was, you know, on February 1st and Sexton's ruled out, I'd probably put Ross Byrne in because I just think he's the one who can, as a one-off, can go in and manage situations so well and pressure so well and has huge experience but I don't think he's got a hope of of being put in at the moment uh, based on the approach that the the Irish management have taken over time but I could be wrong Very confusing picture you're painting Well it is it is um, it was it it was good to see Ross come in but I I think that was uh, and get that kick in autumn but I don't know are the Irish management thinking that way I, I just don't see it Mm. with them mm. hopefully I'm wrong but who knows it is it's not a it's not a clear it's, it's obviously not a clear um, choice for, for management or supporters alike and what's more we are running out of games mm. if we presume for a moment Sexton returns from injury after the third game after the Italian game yeah. mid-tournament and plays against Scotland and England mm. that leaves Wales France mm. and Italy for what it's worth and then a couple of warm-up games in the summer mm. I mean, if Crowley comes in and akin to the Australian game, mm. does quite well, slots in, and still Joey Carberry is starting at 10 for Munster. Mm. And then where does that leave Crowley versus uh, Ross Byrne, who might be playing most weeks for Leinster and doing quite well? I think, uh, it's, it, uh, I just uh, think to clarify from going around in circles, the, the it's obviously Sexton is the, is the number one. Yeah. I think they're very clearly showing that Carberry is their number two. Yeah. And it's who goes as number three is any any games in 2023 are going to be dependent on, they're not going to put in an out-and-out player like, an out-and-out 10 like Ross Byrne for any of the games if he's not going to go to the World Cup as a third choice. And the likelihood of him going to the World Cup as a third choice is so slim because he only plays 10. They're going to put a third choice out half in who plays multiple positions. Fair enough. So that's why I don't, that's why I can see them just not including him in the Six Nations or the or the summer test because he's highly unlikely as it stands to go as, as on a World Cup squad. Yes, That's okay. where I'm coming from. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. So therefore, you're into the Crowley, Frawley Utility debate. types. Yeah, yeah, and they do cover a few positions. And you know, a touch uncomfortable with that because it does feel with our 37-year-old all-time great, and I stress the all-time mm. great, the likelihood of him coming through match against South Africa, mm. quarter-final against France or New Zealand and being fit for a semi-final mm. feels remote. And so if they were sitting around which they are, I'm sure, routinely mm. and talking about it. I think they have to be saying, 
semi-final without Sexton. What, who do we want to be picking from? Mm. And that's where the Rossburn argument in your yeah. eyes is, is strengthened again because I just think it's so unlikely that Sexton's going to make it through all those games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but again, you can't do a disservice to Carberry who's done well in an Irish shirt. Mm, for sure. Um, but no, he's in. Yeah. I mean, he probably starts that semi-final yeah, if, and that's, if that's, it comes to that. Yeah. But it's so who do you want as your backup then? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's tricky. And I do, you know, there's an element of risk and gamble in a 30-man World Cup squad that you're... Ha- I think it's 30, is it? They're, they're only allowed this this time round. But anyway, they have a limited amount and they're not going to bring four mm. uh, in that position. No. So the third, the third one's going to be a... All-rounder. Yeah, okay. it has to be. Uh, Sexton out, of course, because of the tackle on Jared Butler yeah. after an hour. Should he have you given see- a card? Um, well, yeah, it was a head to cheek contact, yeah. Um, but he the he wasn't the tackler, uh, as in the the ball carrier made the contact going in towards him. But I think it was was accidental, and mm. Sexton was bolt upright and tricky. See the dent? You could see the way that even yeah, the way the floodlights hit on his face as he was walking off. You could see a major dent in the side of his face and immediately thought, oh, here we go. But uh, look, as injuries go, it's not overly serious. Um, you can keep fit, you can keep. Yeah, and that'll be, you know, they'll put a small plate probably in there into the cheekbone and it'll be nice and strong again in a number of weeks. And Yeah, Leo Cullen was talking afterwards uh, about the inconsistencies in this whole area in recent weeks. He mentioned the Keane Healy red card, which was overturned, for instance, and then there was a incident in the Ulster match in the Champions Cup, which wasn't overturned. And he added another layer to the whole conversation about head-high tackles. He said, I do think there are ball carriers and they know they've got all the aces, really, haven't they? The ball carrier is the one in control. So if I'm ball carrier, I can run directly at you head first. And that comes into the game as well. Are you mm. seeing that from ball carriers? My first thought was, why would you do that and risk being out of the game with the HIA yourself? Yeah, I know. I don't. I haven't seen a huge amount of it, and uh, I suppose the counter argument is to it: if they're running that high, you don't need to be that high to tackle them. And again, that's drawing on my own experience because I had to be low in order to make tackles. Um, there was zero benefit for me in standing bolt upright trying to make a tackle anyway because your body my body didn't generate enough power standing bolt upright I had to crouch generate power from the legs Sexton's quite unusual he's unusual he's kind of seems to have that really tall upper body strength as well Um, very strong up around the shoulders and chest area when he's making those grab tackles so he's probably a little more exposed than a lot because he's so high in the tackle and he always has been and anyway. he has refused to budge on that yes. front unsurprisingly you know he that's his nature I yeah. think and it you know he's won countless penalties and helped back rowers turn over ball I thought around the, crucial times, the era when he was locking heads with Bastero I thought well he's going to have to change here yeah and we're <clears throat> the guts of a decade on yeah and uh, yeah, look, it's just look. He's not going to change. Certainly not going to change it at thirty-seven. But I don't buy into that um, that Leo sentiment there. Really, it doesn't make a huge amount of sense to me. It's just probably a little frustration on his part, seeing Johnny getting injured again, and maybe suggesting look, he's being targeted and usually trying to protect his player. But there's a hundred and one ways to avoid getting hit by someone's head when they're running at you one of them is don't stand directly in the way like you know 
there's other ways to tackle too. So on the uh, game generally, uh, Connor Camp, I saw it, were making the point that they actually broke more tackles than Leinster and just were less clinical. But C- Connacht, yeah, yeah. I I found I was deflated a little watching Connacht based on the Jack Carty uh, performance. I thought it was a jaded looking performance from him. Whether he's lost a bit of drive or momentum because he's not in the Irish picture at all. He, For example, we haven't even mentioned him, whereas he was he started in the 2019 World Cup three years ago. It looked a jaded performance. He did a number of things that were out of character for him in, in terms of execution. Um, so, yeah, overall, no. I, I And I felt that set a little bit of the tone in, the, in their overall play. Their attitude, as always, was good and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, workmanlike, but he had a couple of poor poor pieces of play on an individual level that I think were below his normal standards um, and look everyone can have an off day but I think I do think that was impactful on the on the overall performance Do you just watch games through the eight half chair? Uh, a lot of the time I do but I think in recent years I've eyes have opened up I'd, I'd watch it a bit more through the front, the eyes of what the front five are doing a lot as well. I've just developed that interest from chatting to other props, you know, uh, props who are on the fringes of society, and feel, <laughs> and feel who you know. Why isn't why isn't anyone talking about? Like Matt Williams did an article on during the week talking really. You know, the tone of the article is pushing for a more make rugby more like super rugby in the mid late 90s was like basketball diminished the the role of the scrum and I, I I'd be really on the opposite side of that so I, I would watch it on front I'd watch rugby through the lens of maintaining as many big heavy front five lads as we can because that diversity gives the game something interesting it's interesting you say that because often during a version Six Nations match he will often be during the two half saints keep an eye on scrums guys you know in terms of putting together the picture of the game yeah, very yeah. forward oriented at yeah. times so that's interesting Yeah, I've heard it said of Connacht over the last couple of weeks that obviously last year their defence was porous and they seem to have really focused on that across the off season and into the early stages of this season and in, in taking their eye off their attack they've ended up with an average defence and weirdly for Connacht, an average enough attack. Is there something mm. in that? Well, yeah, I'd say there is. It's very, very hard to get both sides of your game right. You know, as a golf analogy, you get the driver right and suddenly the pitching wedge goes awry. And very, very hard in that environment to really, you know, you might focus on, you know, they might look at simple stats or data around like missed tackles or the amount of people who got an offload away in a tackle and then they're, they're, driving their week's prep around that and naturally they're not dedicating the time that you need to develop your attack it's mm. very very hard and um, they were like the thought leaders in set piece moves and yeah, plays I mean, last year yeah, it yeah. wasn't dried up yeah and again they're, they're, they get analysed to the hilt in terms of their attack because they were looked on as so creative last year so yeah it's it's very very tricky for any team to manage both sides of the game and I think that's true for a lot of sport in general um, so I can see I can see the reasoning behind it but yeah it, the, the the disappointing side of it for them is if they have decided to uh, 
give greater focus to defence that's not actually transferred into being an airtight defence or really robust or intimidating defence or line speed. They're not known for excessive line speed. They're not known for a brilliantly smart drift defence. So they're slightly falling between stools, yeah. I approach next question with caution. Leinster often have a star performer uh, in the URC in particular and then we, that week, champion them and talk mm. about the possibilities for them and, and then it's quickly forgotten and it's on to the next yeah. hammering in the URC and we champion the next person. However, not all of those players have 30 Ireland caps to their name. Jordan Larmer was man of the match. Mm. He's still only 25. He scored two tries. So his last full cap was in July 2021. He did feature against the Mary All Blacks. I saw Rob Kearney after the game was on TV and he was talking about what he felt has been the big development in Larmer's game. So when he first came into Leinster, not surprisingly given the twinkle toes, he would try to beat every man in front of him and stop when he wasn't beaten. Whereas now he's very good at spotting an opportunity, releasing the ball before contact. You could see that in the build-up to his first try when he slipped the ball to James Lowe and followed the play up and, and got his first try. So this is a guy who burst on the scene, Brent Stevens Day actually, mm. four or five years ago now, yeah. burst on the scene at... I think over uh, the space of a few years we realised he's not a fullback, mm. or certainly under the high ball he wasn't strong enough and then injuries intervened mm. and now we're kind of thinking well you know he's not mentioned um, mm. and you've got Lowe and you've got Hansen and you've got Balakoon and you've got Keith Durrells back and Jimmy mm. O'Brien's emerged so uh, almost I'm at Larmer is a bolter once again for yeah. World Cup territory but like the step and the feet that's never been lost No they're they are unique qualities in that he has and I would have thought that performance alone um, the other night immediately shines a bit of a light on him and a focus from Mike Cat and Farrell for I sure as in someone <coughs> with that ceiling and that skill set only has to show a little quick yeah, cameo yeah, and back yeah, yeah. he in probably the needs to put a few games together in terms of showing his shown his capacity to put put stuff back to back and that physical resilience and that look that you need without getting injuries which he's had a tough run but they there he is a he has a unique capacity to beat people um like he david hawkshaw is a, is a young agile what is he 21 year old defender and i he looked like he seriously injured his foot or ankle as a result of how good Larimer's step was. Like, the commentary said, look, he's caught his, his studs in the grass. The reason he caught his studs in the grass, the, the, the phraseology I've heard for good sidesteppers over the years, people call them ankle breakers, as in, it's not, they don't break their own ankle, they break someone else's <laughs> ankle because of the absolute speed and dynamism of which they can change direction and accelerate. So there are very few people I've seen in Irish rugby uh, culture you know, over the last 20 years who can step like he can. No, I was trying to think, best step since in Irish best, rugby? I don't know, best step, maybe. You know, he's he's got kind of a Christian Cullen. He's shorter stride length. Christian Cullen had this beautiful running style and had a long stride and could accelerate and there was something quite majestic about watching him playing like that. Larmer's shorter and more explosive, but he, that, that sidestep he's got is Lita. And I actually think he caused, inadvertently caused that injury to Hawkshaw because it was such an um, acute angle. He, Hawkshaw was straining to get to the corner and, and, he, and he damaged himself on the, on the turn back. But 
any Irish attacker who can do that to a defender is worth being in the reckoning. Has to be, I think. And um, even with Balakoon, um, Hansen, Lowe, he, he offers something different. Um, I at twenty four, I think. Did you say twenty five? Yeah. I've 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 thrown a left field comment out in the studio here a couple of years ago that I think players have that much footwork um, could be moved further infield actually and cause havoc, like a twelve or thirteen, if he developed his passing game, much like happened Darcy, mm. who started on the wings and fullback and played all his great rugby at twelve because mm. he caused havoc where there's such little space. When space is at a premium in midfield, you've got someone who can, if he can break that interior defence, which he which he actually could do probably better than anyone, it's then what's his capacity like to offload, what's his capacity like to not do that and yes. be a distributor. Yes. That's something that down the line could be developed in this game, I think. Yeah. But anyway, it's that, not for now. Yeah, it's interesting. That's what Rob Kearney was saying has improved, certainly, mm. over the last couple of years. Uh, Ulster beaten by Munster at the death as we mentioned mm. Dan McFarlane's comments in some ways the most interesting aspect of the game uh, they're finding ways to lose at the moment they were the better team for the majority of the game against Munster mm. so here's just uh, some of what McFarland was saying he said we were terrible I don't want to take away anything from Munster uh, that was a game where we decided our own fate we had the ball 11 times in their 22 and we lost it 10 times. The only time we held on to it for long phases, we scored a magnificent try. He said, they scored twice from three entries. It's a big issue. I'm very concerned. It's soft. I told them last week, we have to toughen up there. And then he moved to clarify. He said, we're soft in a rugby sense, not in a mental or physical sense. I mean, I don't know about you, I would think soft in a rugby sense is soft soft is soft. (laughs) You can distinguish the difference. Uh, Just a rugby sense. There is no difference there. He's, He's just, he's, so angry and then he's probably realised he's soft called his own words. team soft yeah. and you need to backtrack quickly but he's calling his team soft that's what he's calling them and they are soft at, at the moment would I you would have said that about them a month ago no I wouldn't but whatever volatility they've got in their own makeup they've gone from looking at times impenetrable three months ago to so it's so easy to score against them and the, the Ben Healy try from a defensive point of view, it was appalling. Like, it was so bad. Because he, he caught the ball static, one yard out as an out half, who's not that big and not that explosive. And he almost waltzed through two, three tacklers. It's the last play of the game, you're on your try line. He should have been murdered. You know. Is that Ulster being tired, maybe? or It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It does not matter at that stage how tired you are. That's if, where. Sorry, if even Dan McFarlane's not defending them, I'm not going to try and jump no, in here and defend don't. <laughs> and I don't think there's cause to defend it. It's, they got to sort. That's stuff you just got to sort out as a group. And I, I don't. I don't even think it's Dan's responsibility. I think that groups that get better. <clears throat> Leinster had. They, you know, there's. They were called all kinds of derogatory things back in the day, the Leinster lady boys and the Leinster this and that. And they didn't change their culture because Cheka came in. They changed their culture because Leo Cullen and Jeno, Shane Jennings came back from Leicester where they got seven shades knocked out of them on a daily basis yeah. and came back into this environment in Dublin Forum and lads, you're having a laugh if you think your prep is good enough and your mentality is good enough to win anything. And they don't get half the credit they deserve for changing the culture and that came from that wasn't prompted by coaches that wasn't prompted by management it was two hard-nosed mm. lads who went away and got experience somewhere else 
whatever is going on in that Ulster camp, there doesn't seem to be that um, hard edge and fear among the players that's going to let down someone like Leo or Shane Jennings on the squad or let down the fella beside them. And that, that last try, to me, I really, I really sat back okay. and just went, wow, that is just an awful try to concede in the last minute. So I'm with Dan on that. And I think, yeah, he's smart enough to to uh, reverse out of his comment, mm. but he landed it and his team are going to know it. And doesn't always doesn't always land too well when your coach calls you soft, but they got to step up. Well, for a manager to do that publicly, it's a break glass in case of emergency. Yeah, it like, is. He's out of yeah. ideas if he's doing that. Uh, plus, allied to the anger, I'm sure you're right. It's, yeah. They've just lost in the last few minutes. He's probably been interviewed moments later. So there's a degree of anger, but I think there is a degree of, I've tried everything else. Mm. Let's publicly call them soft or, mm. you know, give them, mm. the, read them the right act. Yeah. Who What's uh, so concerning, I suppose, is that try conceded at the death. That's not a team who've been coasting along and winning games and getting away with bad habits. And then they had a rude awakening that's a team who mm. are in crisis and you would anticipate some kind of backlash you know from them some kind of anger some kind of listen they're not getting over our tri, tri line mm. here type uh, circling of the wagons mm. and even with all the embarrassment of the last couple of weeks they couldn't muster up that physical effort that's especially mm. worrying I think yeah and uh, within any of the squads I played in in, in 11 years I played I probably was involved in squads who were in ruts regularly you know and um, season long ruts extended ruts yeah. <laughs> very difficult to articulate it really but you could try everything and, and the, the the phrase that resonated with me from Don McFarlane was finding ways to lose I, that was my phrase sorry oh was it yeah. sorry I thought Dan said well your, your phrase then and it's exactly apt and then in amateur club level I went I was involved with all Belvo won in all Ireland in 2011 we beat Cork Con and, and had about 10 internationals on the field in 2011 Zebo and Peter O'Mahony included won the all Ireland the following year went out to defend the all Ireland and lost the first 14 matches in a row with, with, with a, arguably a better team just could not arrest the decline sometimes it's hard to hard to put a finger on it but my if I'm going to settle on one way to put a finger on it it's usually the leadership within the group and that how it transfers into training and expectations and there's no other way to do it and it can't be done from externally from the coaching side of things I think it has to be addressed from within the playing group and I my doubts are there around that Ulster group who's who's can't be Henderson on his own who's there can't I don't know who is I don't know the personnel so I'm I'm mm. guessing but who is there who's doing what you know Anthony Anthony Foley and Raj did with Munster what what Leo and Shane James did to change Leinster who's setting that cultural tone within the group because it's very it's very hard to see that based on that massive turnaround in the last six weeks Uh, we are out of time I did want to mention briefly by the way Munster in their latest dispatch have confirmed Orgy Snyman and not going to be around for any January games I think they've won game in February so it could be March by the time he's back 
So still 54 minutes across four games. Cruciate injury twice. The first one eight minutes into his debut against Leinster mm. in 2020. Mm. Slow recovery. Then there was the fire pit and all that. Uh, yeah. And then the comeback September 2021. Three matches in the third he did his cruciate again and Munster extended his contract in January last year. So even when they extended the contract January last year, he's not going to play January this year. Mm. He's there until the summer of 24. He's going to have to hell of, have a hell of a last 18 months here to yeah, he turn had, this one around. This, uh, th- there's a, if there's a momentum about Ulster, there's a momentum about this, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah, if, if he gets right, he owes them a lot. He owes them his career. And um, for what it's worth in those 54 minutes, you can see the quality. And uh, it's just the type of luck you couldn't wish on your worst enemy. And you wouldn't wish it on any club to pay that amount of money and invest in someone for the right reasons. And they, they did need, I think, somebody like that to come in, like, a you know, a marquee mm. World Cup winning player with that stature in that position. He was the right person at the right time. And bang, life happens and they've got nailed, both of them, Munster and him. So I'd like to see the story come around, really would, for for both of them. And I'd say, from what I've heard, he's hugely popular and has a great work ethic and is very, very aware what Munster have done for him. And I think he'd be willing to reward them in spades if he gets the opportunity. And, and it would be nice to see and be good, you know, sure good story. Would. Yeah, we, there's... there's we all like those comeback stories in sports and we like them. Well, hopefully he's back in them. Yeah. March and hits the ground running. Andy Dunn with us this evening. Thank you very much. Thanks, Emil Joe. Our rugby coverage off the ball with thanks to Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish Rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Wednesday Night Rugby on Off the Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish Rugby team. We all belong to the team of us.